0: In Alhamdalilla, Nahmedu and Esterino, who and Estofiro, when I would be la Shururi and Fusina, was a yati Armalina, when you had Wa la who Fala muddilla, woman muddle feller, her diella, wash hadola ilaha illa who had a hula shari kella, wash hado and Mohammed and Abedu or a solo. So we were talking about the different types of optional prayers. Last time, which ones did we mention? The eclipse prayer, and what else? The rain prayer, and what else? We started the janazah prayer. So we were talking about the prayer that you pray upon a Muslim. When he dies, this particular prayer, it has certain rulings to it and the issue of death as a whole, how Muslims deal with that and the things that are connected to it. There are various things to know and to understand. We mentioned last time one of those. And that was that when a person is dying, you should encourage them and remind them regarding the testimony of faith. That testimony, the shahada, La ilaha illallah, Muhammadun Rasulullah, that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth, except Allah. And that Muhammad is the servant and final messenger of Allah. When a Muslim is dying, you remind that Muslim about this testimony of faith. And even if a person wasn't Muslim, like we mentioned that story last time, there used to be a young Jewish boy. He used to help the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. And when that young Jewish boy became ill and he was on his deathbed, still a child, but he became ill and he was on his deathbed, the Prophet Muhammad went to him and encouraged him to die as a Muslim. And so the young boy, who was nervous in the presence of his father, who was also Jewish, looked at his father to see what to do and what's he gonna say. And his father. Gave him permission and said to him, Yes, you should follow what the Prophet Muhammad tells you. So, that is one thing. Another thing is, Islamically speaking, We've been told in the Revelation, In the Revelations, the Quran, and the Sunnah, The teachings of the Prophet wasallam, That you visit the people who are ill. If somebody is sick, Somebody is ill, then Islamically, it is something rewarding. You gain reward from Allah for going and visiting somebody who is ill, visiting somebody who is sick. And that is mentioned in Al-Bukhari, in the book of the narrations of the Prophet wasallam, and in other books of hadith, that visiting the ill person is something which is islamically encouraged. You should go and visit the ill and the sick. And you should go to do that in order to bring some happiness to that one who is ill, to bring some encouragement to the one who is ill, and to bring some joy That the one who is ill sees his brothers visiting him. Or the sister sees her sisters in Islam visiting her. So this is something good. In particular if somebody is in their final illness. It is expected or rather it is not expected that they will survive that final illness. Then again you should go and visit that person. And that person who is in their final illness should have hope in Allah. You should not be in a state of despondency, in a state of having lost hope. When you're in your final moments, you should have great hope in Allah. That Allah has forgiven your sins for you. And that you will enter into paradise in the hereafter. So in those final moments, you should have the good and hopeful thoughts in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then, once a person has died, a person has died, a Muslim has died, There are certain mannerisms that are mentioned Islamically for you to do and to behave in. One of those things mentioned is that if a person dies and their eyes are open, sometimes a person may die and their eyes remain open. So Islamically the Prophet Muhammad said what you should do is close their eyes. That is more respectful for the person as for with their eyes open and they have died, then the appearance is not good. So you close the eyes of the deceased. That is mentioned Islamically in the narration, that you should close the eyes of the deceased. There is a hadith, when Abu Salamah anhu died, and his eyes were open. the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa closed his eyes. And there is a hadith, a narration from the Prophet wasallam, that tells us, When you die, the angel of death descends upon you. The angel of death comes upon you and takes your soul. When your soul exits from your body, then the final thing you see, the eyesight follows The soul exiting. And so perhaps the eyelids remain open. And so it is mentioned to close the eyelids of that person. Similarly, Islamically one of the things we've been taught in our religion is that when a person dies, you do not delay their burial out of need. Whatever is in need, there is necessity, fair enough. Outside of necessity, you do not delay the burial. In some cultures, they delay the burial. Certain cultures of the world, the burial is purposely delayed. Maybe they'll keep the body uh, uh, in in, in a frozen state or in some other state. For maybe a a week or two weeks or a month or more. For no purpose, no medical reason, no other legal reason. They've been given permission to bury the body now. But they keep it in state for maybe a month, maybe six weeks. They keep it like that. And that is something Islamically we've been taught not to do. When somebody dies, Islamically we've been taught... As soon as possible, bury that individual. Not to keep that body in a frozen state or in a mortuary or in some other place unnecessarily. Necessarily, if you have to, for some reason, some legal examination needs to be done, some other post-mortem needs to be done, okay. But outside of necessity, as soon as you've been given the green light to bury that person, then you should not delay you should go and bury that person and that is islamically what we've been told why is that because the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam informed us that there are certain things that happen when a person dies there is what is known as the barzakh so we believe that here we are in this existence now Allah has created us and placed us on this earth as a test. We are here upon a test. Allah is the one who created us. Allah is the one who created death and life. In order to test us which of us is the best in our actions and deeds. So here we are upon this earth as a test from our Creator. Then after this existence is not paradise or hell straight away. When you die, it's not a case of paradise or hell straight away. When you die, you are in that state known as Barzakh. And that is an intermediary state Between this life and the afterlife. The hereafter, the resurrection. There is the day of judgment, the day of resurrection, when all of the bodies and all of the deceased and all of the people will be raised up and brought back to life. Before that day happens, everybody who dies now remains in the state known as Barzakh up until that day occurs. So in this state in their graves and even if they weren't buried, they've died. All of those who have died are in the state of Barzakh, waiting for the day of judgment to occur, for the day of resurrection to occur. Whilst they are in this state known as Barzakh, this intermediary state, they are either going to be in blessings or they are going to be in torment. Allah told us in the Qur'an about Pharaoh, the story of Moses and Pharaoh. It's in the Qur'an, in lots of different places, not even in one place, in multiple places. And Allah told us in that story about Moses and Pharaoh, Musa alayhi salam and Fir'aun, that Pharaoh, of course, he was a tyrant, and he used to kill Bani Israel, the Israelites. He used to kill them. And when the prophecy came to Pharaoh at that time, when the prophecy came to him that there's going to be a baby boy that is born, and he will grow up to finally defeat you one day. So when that came to Pharaoh, when he found out about this, what you may call a prophecy, when he found out about that, what did he begin doing? Began slaughtering all of the newborn baby boys. Began slaughtering all of the newborn baby boys. It's mentioned in the Quran, all of this story. Began slaughtering all of the newborn baby boys. And let the girls live. So when Moses was born, Musa salam, His mother was obviously afraid for him. That if the people of Pharaoh find out, they're going to kill him. Pharaoh used to have guards walking around the town, observing and keeping note of who all the pregnant women are. And as soon as they gave birth, they would go to their homes and check. Is it a boy or a girl they've given birth to? If it was a boy, they'd kill them. So they had a monitoring system over all of the pregnant women. They were checking. Are they giving birth to a boy or a girl? If it was a boy, slaughter him, kill him. So the mother of Moses, Musa salam, was worried. So she used to hide him in a, like a basket, a uh, type of basket, and she used to tie him up on the river Nile on the side. So when the men of Pharaoh used to come around, they wouldn't observe or notice any child or any baby in her household. One day though, as you know the story, that, Basket became loose and floated away down the Nile. It was picked up by the servants of Pharaoh. Coincidentally, it was the servants, some of the workers from the palace of Pharaoh, who found that crib with Moses, Musa a.s. in it. So they took it back to the wife of Pharaoh. And they showed her, told her what happened and they found this boy she instantly fell in love with this baby, who was Moses, Musa salam. Pharaoh, when he came and found out what happened, that they found this baby boy, his instant reaction was, kill it, a boy. He said, you've heard about this like prophecy, as you call it, that in the future there's going to be a boy who's going to grow up to destroy me, that's a baby boy, kill it. But his wife... Convinced him and said, just this one boy, leave him. She liked him, liked the baby instantly, there was a connection. So she said, leave him. And so Pharaoh became convinced with her, allowed her to leave this one. Thinking to himself, one, surely can't be him. So they left that one and it was him, it was Moses. He grew up initially in the household of Pharaoh, that means and then in the end when he grew up and he uh, called Pharaoh to Tawheed, to worship Allah alone, to drop any other worship and worship only his creator, Pharaoh began saying to them, Ana He said, what are you talking about? I am your Lord. Pharaoh telling his people, I'm your Lord. What's Moses talking about worship Allah? I am your lord the most high. That's what he began telling them. And you know the story in the end. Allah told Moses, Musa alayhis salam, and the Muslims who were with him. To flee and to get out from there. And as they fled they came across the Red Sea. Pharaoh had discovered that they are trying to escape. So he was in chase. When they came to the Red Sea, they had no means of being able to cross. Behind them, they had no means to escape because Pharaoh was already approaching. Behind them, Pharaoh and his army were already there. They could see them coming. So they couldn't go that way anywhere. This way, they couldn't go anywhere because of all of the sea in front of them. So they were stuck. The Israelites, they said to Moses, That's it. We've been caught. That's it. We've been caught. Behind us, the army of Pharaoh. In front of us, the Red Sea. Where are we going to go? Moses, Musa alayhi salam, Musa alayhi salam said to them, Fear not. Put your trust in Allah. And indeed, Allah gave them a way out. Musa, Moses was inspired. To strike his staff into the water. And the pathways opened up and they crossed. When Pharaoh came. The pathways were still there. He went in after them. But as he went in. They had crossed. The the water collapsed back down. And he was drowned. As he was drowning. In his final moments. When death had come to him. His soul was going. He said now I believe. I do now believe in Allah, the Lord of Musa. But then it is said to him, Allah says to him, Now you believe? Now after all of what you have done? So he was not given that because now it was too late. Once the soul is exiting from your body, you cannot seek forgiveness then. You cannot repent and change then. Now you can see death is right there. Too late. It's got to be before the soul is exiting. So Pharaoh died upon that evil and upon that kufr, disbelief. Allah told us in the Quran, and this is the point we were coming to, Allah told us in the Quran that Pharaoh is now, where then? Now he is gone from this world. The day of judgment hasn't begun yet. So he's in that intermediary state known as the barzakh. Just like everybody else who dies is in that intermediary state, that intermediary existence known as the barzakh, up until the day of judgment finally occurs, then they'll be resurrected. Pharaoh is in that intermediary state right now, the barzakh. And Allah tells us in the Quran, he is being punished with fire, being burnt in that intermediary state that he's in right now, the barzakh. He is being punished, him and his people, with fire, being punished in their graves up until the day of judgment is established. And when the day of judgment is established, he'll be taken out from that, resurrected, and thrown into the even more severe fire, the fire of hellfire. And we've been told, Islamically, in the narrations, that the hellfire is 70 times hotter than any fire on earth. What is the hottest fire on earth? Maybe you might say the lava of volcanoes or something like that. 70 times hotter than any fire of this earth. And the hellfire, the size of it, what is the size of the hellfire? Again, it's in the Quran, it's in the Sunnah, the narrations of the Prophet Muhammad the hellfire on that day, it's going to be dragged forth. The angels are going to bring the hellfire. Drag the hellfire. How many chains are attached to it? 70,000 chains attached. Rains or chains. Every Chain is being pulled by 70,000 angels. Every rope is being pulled by 70,000 angels. And there are 70,000 ropes. So how many angels are needed on that day to pull and bring the hellfire? 70,000 times, 70,000. Which is... 4.9 million, 4.9 billion, is it million or billion? Get your phones out, what is it? 4.2, 4.9, has to be 4.9, 70,000, 70,000, but is it 4.9 million or 4.9 billion? It's a huge figure. That is the number of angels needed to pull the hellfire on that day. That is where Pharaoh will be cast on that day. But before that, right now, he's in the barzakh, in the intermediary state, in punishment. So everybody who dies goes to this intermediary state waiting for the Day of Judgment to be established. When the day of judgment occurs, resurrection occurs, everybody is out and everybody's accountability is done. Up until then you remain in the intermediary state. Either being blessed or being punished. Pharaoh, Allah tells us in the Quran is being punished. If you're blessed in that state, then it mentions in some of the narrations that even when you're buried you will feel like and perceive your grave to be as far as the eyesight can see. And it will be beautiful and there will be a door opened up you can see into paradise in advance. And the smells, the beautiful smells of paradise come through to you in your grave. That is the one who is in blessing when he is in his grave. As for the one who is in punishment, Then it's mentioned your grave, you will perceive it in that state, in the intermediary state. You will perceive yourself being squashed, that's how it will be. The grave will actually be squashed upon you. Your ribs crack in it. And a door will be opened up into hellfire. And you see the evil of it, and the the smells of it, and the heat of it. So that is where everybody goes in the intermediary state. The Barzakh Then eventually the Day of Judgment and the Resurrection So when a person dies You hasten To take them to the grave Insha'Allah ta'ala They are from the people who are going to receive Blessing So don't stop them from that Take them and bury them And if they were evil If they were evil Then better you remove them from this life From this world now And bury them and remove them from yourselves So either way The person, when he dies, Islamically, we don't keep them in state. Rather, as soon as possible, the burial is to be conducted. Before the burial can be done, that body must be washed. The body is washed, and it is shrouded in white, if possible. Washed and shrouded in white, and then that burial is carried out. Also... When the washing occurs, obviously if it's a male deceased, the males do the washing. If it is a female deceased, the female do the washing. Then also, there's the prayer. Before you bury the person, once you've done the washing of the person, you've done the shrouding of the person, you pray a prayer on them. Before finally going and burying them. That prayer is known as the janazah prayer, the funeral prayer as you may say. And that funeral prayer, how is it prayed? The deceased's body, the person who has died, their body which has now been washed and shrouded is put down at the front. And ideally, ideally this again should be done outside the mosque. The funeral prayer It is better prayed outside the mosque. It can be prayed in the mosque, no problem. But it is preferred Islamically to pray outside the mosque. Not necessarily the graveyard itself. Maybe on some field or some open space. And then you go to the graveyard. The body is placed in front. And the Imam, the person who is going to lead that prayer... Stands before that body, stands before the body of that deceased. And where do you stand exactly? If it is a man, you stand. Where do you stand in relation to the body? To the head. And if it's a woman, to the middle. And how is it prayed? So the Imam says, Allahu Akbar. Makes the first takbir, and what do you read after the first takbir? The Fatiha, okay. So the Fatiha after the first takbir, then another takbir happens. What do you read now? Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, the Salah upon the Prophet. Then the Imam says, Allahu Akbar, what do you read now? The prayer for the deceased. You supplicate for the deceased person. You ask Allah to forgive this deceased person. You ask Allah to enter him into paradise. You ask Allah to forgive him his sins. You supplicate for the deceased. And imagine some of the great Muslim scholars who have died. There have been sometimes a million people, half a million people, praying this funeral prayer. Imagine half a million people making supplication to Allah, asking Allah to forgive you. So this is a tremendous act of worship that has been prescribed for the Muslims when another Muslim dies. That you go and pray this funeral prayer. So after the third one, then another takbir is done and there's nothing to read after the fourth one and then the salam is given and the prayer is finished. So four takbirat, the opening one and then you read the Fatiha, then the next one, second one then you read the prayers upon the Prophet then the third one, you make the dua for the deceased then the fourth one, nothing is read and then you give the salam. One salam to the right and it's concluded. So that is known as the funeral prayer that is prayed upon the deceased. There are narrations that the more people who pray behind a deceased individual, the better. There are narrations about the 40 people of Tawheed praying behind a person and making dua for that person, supplicating for that person, the deceased one, and that Allah will give that deceased individual intercession of them uh, in regards to that dua and supplication that they make for him. When the actual burial occurs, you should bury the person with the facing, their facing towards the qibla, that the grave should be dug out facing to the qibla and islamically speaking there is no such thing as needing a coffin because islamically there's a particular way to dig a grave it's not just a hole in the ground it's a hole within a hole so you're supposed to dig out the hole then either when you get to the bottom of the hole dig into the side so you've gone down and then into the side the body then goes into that side part, fill it up with stones and rocks, and then fill up the the hole. So now if somebody dug straight down, they wouldn't go into the body, the body would be slightly at the side of the bottom of the hole. Or, you dig the hole, and you get to the bottom, you dig another small hole within the bigger hole, and the body goes into that space dug out at the bottom, Then you have the overall bigger hole. The space at the bottom, you fill it up with the rocks, etc. And then the sand or the the soil on top of the overall hole. Uh, The hole. That being, because if, imagine now, a predatory animal came. Or something else came and tried to dig in. You wouldn't get to the body. The body is within a hole, within the hole. The hole within the hole. So, that is the way, Islamically... That digging of the grave occurs That is an overview There are details Here there's many details In fact we'll go through them We'll go through the details Inshallah the Sheikh breaks it down uh, Into various sections With all of the details put down But today just to get an overview Next time we'll go into the detailed sections In the overview as well Once a person has been buried All the soil has been put on Then this is another opportunity That you make supplication for the deceased Not congregationally together Individually every Muslim makes dua For that deceased person Supplicates for the deceased So look how much Islamically we've been told To supplicate for your Muslim brothers and sisters That Allah forgives them And Allah has mercy upon them Even after death So that supplication is done And then you exit and leave after that What about consolations to go and give your commiserations to the deceased is this permissible or not absolutely to go and give commiserations to the family of the deceased uh, and to console them that is something which is good that is something which is good and something which is required That you should go and console the family. However, what is not correct, many people do it, is that the family of the deceased, when somebody dies in that household, everybody, all the the, uh, neighbors and the relatives and your friends and family, they all come to your house then to give you commiserations and to console you. So now you're going to be, you're going to end up. With a large amount of people coming from everywhere to, to give you those commiserations and to console, to console you, it is not from the sunnah that you should be overburdened. You are not supposed to spend that next day or two hosting all of these people, making food for them and arrangements for them. That is not your responsibility. You've just had a death in your family. Islamically, it is not your responsibility now. To start thinking about how am I going to organize food for these people and accommodation and this and that. That's not your responsibility now. It is wrong people do that. Your neighbors and your friends and your family, they should be taking care of those things. They should take care of the food and take care of other things. It's wrong everybody now, the deceased of the family, they say in that house we've organized the food. And they've paid for it and they've organized it, everybody go eat there. You're not the one hosting all the guests. They've come. To, give you console, to console you. Not to come and eat and relax and drink. So it's not right that the deceased's family does all of that. The neighbors and others should help in doing that. Makes more sense or not? Somebody in the household, they lose their son, their daughter, their father. They don't want to be worrying about how am I going to do with all these people and food and whatever. It's the neighbors and the other family and relatives who should take care of that. So that is something important to take note of. That is a brief overview of the topic. Any questions on that so far? There are details we're going to go into yet next week. But any questions overall on what we've spoken about there? I don't think it's uh, uh, required by law. You can get the legal paperwork to bury somebody without a coffin in this country. I'm pretty sure that's possible legally. You have to get the paperwork and you can bury uh, somebody deceased without a coffin. That's legally possible if you get the paperwork and things. Even with soft ground and stuff, you can dig down, because now normally what they use then, once you've dug down and if you have made the hole within the hole, Then on top of that, they put down the big slabs, the big concrete type of slabs on top of that hole within the hole. Then on top of that, they fill all the soil on. So that person is underneath those concrete slabs. Then it is all of the rest of the soil on top. So that's okay, inshallah. That should work. Mm-hmm. But what's going to happen though? So is it a problem? So they dig the whole face in the Qibla, they place the coffin if it's going to be a coffin, and there's no need for it. Just face it towards the Qibla, and you, you put the slabs on top as they do, and then the soil, that's it. What you, how is, it's not going to be real movement to any degree underneath. In, if they don't allow it, then you can't then. If you can find somewhere where it's possible, that's better. If not, then what can you do? That is how it is. Stillborn babies? Yes. Because a janaza prayer is basically performed upon four months onwards. If a woman has a miscarriage after four months, then janaza is due. Because at four months is when the soul is blown into a baby. When a baby is being formed in the womb of the mother, it is after four months when the soul is blown in. That's what we've been told in the revelation from Allah. So, if the baby, if there's a miscarriage after four months, then you should do the the, the due rights as normal. That's it. No, no. Where, wherever something is. Impossible to do, then that ruling drops. You're making wudu, your hand has been chopped off and you don't have a hand. Wudu, you're supposed to wash both hands. How are you going to wash it if you don't have it? No, that's it. No, what do you mean? If a person is being burnt, why can't you wash that person? And there's nothing left. No, I mean, those, you could still wash. If you physically, if it's physically impossible to wash, no problem. Where it is possible to wash, you wash. If it is still possible to wash in that state, you wash. If it is physically impossible, the way something has happened to this person, if you put water, it's going to uh, start peeling away at the body or something, then okay. Then you uh, do what you can to the best of your ability. Nothing else, no? There's no, no, you just do what you can. Hmm. Alright, we'll have to conclude there. Prayer is coming in. Inshallah Ta'ala will carry on next week at 6.30 p.m.